Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. World governments have made little progress to set up a historic new fund that would give massive financial assistance to the nations most impacted by climate change. A little refresher. The Loss and Damage Fund was created at last year's United Nations Climate Talks in Dubai, and some of the world's wealthiest countries committed hundreds of millions of dollars to support it. But so far, the countries haven't gotten the fund up and running because of internal disputes. And the lack of action is threatening to delay how quickly that funding could be sent out. And it could be a bad sign for next year's international climate talks. So today, I chat with Sarah Schoenhart from Politico's Indy News about why the historic loss and damage fund is already in disarray. It's Wednesday, February 21st. Countries agreed to the structure and outlines of this fund at the end of last year after nearly a year of negotiations. Now they're working to establish a board that will determine how the fund operates. And this fund is really targeted at countries that have borne the brunt of climate impacts in the form of what's known as loss and damage. So the impacts of extreme heat or storms that really devastate communities or lead to displacement. It's kind of a step beyond just adaptation. And so determining how the fund operates could include things like which countries will receive funding and how. They're also considering who to name as an executive director of the fund. So Lots of decisions still need to be made. And even though countries agreed on the fund, many still want a say over how those decisions are going to shake out. Gotcha. And then within this, the kind of the first big issue you're reporting about as far as the dispute is between the European Union and other wealthy governments, including the United States. So what's the disagreement about and why is it important? It really comes down to money. The way the board is comprised is there are 26 seats. 14 are dedicated for developing countries, which will likely be the recipients of the money from the fund. And the other 12 are slated to go to developed countries, wealthy or high-income countries that are considered the main donors of the fund. So Those who have contributed the most, in addition to agreeing to set up the fund last year, a number of countries went ahead and pledged money to it. Part of that's to get the fund up and running. And then the idea is they'll continue to add money to the pot as the year goes on. So countries like Italy, France, Germany that have contributed quite large sums of money to the fund argue they should get the top seats. And this is informally how it's worked with the Green Climate Fund, which is another climate-focused fund that helps countries transition to clean energy and adapt to its impacts. But, you know, a senior State Department official that I spoke with said that approach would really limit the number of seats other countries could get. So whilst a number of European countries have contributed sums of money around $100 million, the U.S. went ahead and put $17.5 million into the pot. And then some countries, like Australia, haven't contributed any money at all. So the official I spoke to said that the countries that haven't pledged any money argue that 
just because they haven't done so doesn't mean they won't, and that being part of the board will help them shape the policies that could allow them to get involved. So the dispute over who should get seats really is about a price tag at the moment. Right. And so even if things are resolved among Western countries, there's another obstacle with the Eastern European bloc of countries, too. Is that right? And what's that about? That's right. This is where it gets quite wonky. In fact, so there are different blocks of countries that make decisions related to the UN climate program. And one of those blocks is the Eastern European bloc. And since not long after Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia has prevented Ukraine and other Eastern EU countries from nominating candidates to committees on the UN climate body. Most relevant to this is a move by Moscow to veto any Eastern European country as host of this year's climate talks. Eventually, that group ended up choosing Azerbaijan sort of as the last choice, but they're still sort of locked in dispute about whether or not Eastern European countries should be given representation. In addition, there's an issue of Turkey which has categorized itself as a developing country, even though it's listed as developed under the UN Climate Treaty. And it's suggesting that the one remaining seat on the board dedicated to a developing country should be reserved for Turkey rather than some of the the poor developing countries that are vying for it. So that's adding to the delay. Wow, that's a lot. Okay. And so what are developing countries saying about all of this? And if this process continues to go on and on, you know, does that undermine the fund's original purpose? Yeah, I mean, so the developing countries have put forward all of their nominations for seats. They've already filled out the board for as far as their part goes. And I think they're really just worried that this pushes back the timeline with which they have to check boxes and get things done. So as part of the agreement to create the fund, countries agreed to house it temporarily at the World Bank. And that means that they need to come up with an agreement for how that engagement will work before this year's climate talks in November. They also need to approve the fund's final design at the climate talks in Azerbaijan. And if there are delays to sort of finalizing some of those details for the board to come together and meet, I mean, ultimately they should meet several times before COP29 in Azerbaijan, So it just really pushes out the timeline for all of these things. And developing countries are already frustrated that several pledges around finance, several other pledges by wealthy countries to cut their emissions haven't really been met. And so I think there's concern that this might be another promise that isn't lived up to. Also, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack is predicting that the Biden administration will increase the availability of gasoline blends containing 15% ethanol across the country next year. That's what Vilsack said on Tuesday, which means ethanol supporters will have to wait until after the November election to see movement on the effort. EPA has proposed allowing the year-round sale of E15 in several Midwestern states, which marked a major win for the ethanol industry. But EPA has since stalled on issuing the final rule. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. 
I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. And they're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane.